Hey, everyone. Hey, Mike. How are you doing tonight? David, doing well. Excited for this episode of Your Exit Squad. And for people that are joining us for the very first time, what is Your Exit Squad? Your Exit Squad is a place where we talk with small business owners about exits that they've made, about exits that they want to make, how we get from here to there. It's uh, it's designed to help small business owners engage around a topic that, quite frankly, we don't talk about nearly enough. And so um, that's what we do here. And over the course of season one, we have been doing a lot of recording and our typical format is we talk with a business owner, we hear the story of the business and then match that person up with someone who might be able to help them with any kind of challenges or, or concerns with the business. And then we bring everyone together for a follow-up conversation to see how things have gone. But we've also got a couple of standalone stories that are uh, interesting and can teach us certain lessons. And that's what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we have a couple who had successfully opened up a coffee shop, developed the business, systematized the business, and then ultimately exited. And we're going to talk a little bit about that journey and 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 find out some of the motivations and reasons for the different th different steps that they took along the way. Yeah, absolutely. The 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 fact that they exited the business while they were still there, and then ultimately exited the business again. It's uh, it's going to give us a chance to explore what that definition of exit really means. Yeah. So let me bring Lee and Miguel into the conversation. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Thank you. Hi. Hi, guys. Good here. Well, uh, you know, I just I just uh, had told everyone that you had opened a coffee shop, and, I, and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind telling us the story of the concept. You know, how long ago was it? And maybe give us a, a bit of the the taste or flavor of of that initial journey to open the doors and and start serving uh, people in the in the public. So I think um, we are both um, designers by training, and we had um, started working together as a design business, a consulting business, mm -hmm. and. Um, we had realized that our income was always going to be limited by the amount of hours that we could put in as consultants. Um, and we didn't necessarily want to have to continue to work more and more hours if we wanted to make more and more money. And so we uh, started to explore different ideas of how we could grow a business that would operate above and beyond ourselves to earn money without us necessarily having to invest more and more hours. Yeah, that was, and as a, it's funny, like design methodology, like concepting and um, exploring and kind of thinking outside the box and brainstorming comes very naturally. So like we were like looking at lots of different business types. One of the, one of them was a uh, custom chocolate bar company called the chocolate experiment. Um, I can't remember some of the others, but. And Miguel's family had been entrepreneurs already. Yeah, my dad had a, uh, um, so so we had this design business and we knew what the consulting world was like. Um, I also knew what my what the small business world is like from my my dad. He had a, initially an auto parts store. He was a, he's a Mexican immigrant and he uh, opened an auto parts store, and he also um, shifted towards remanufacturing starters and alternators. And um, I got to see him kind of grow this thing. Um, and it had two, uh, 
two stores and a factory. So it was it wasn't insignificant. It was it was mm. pretty large. But I also got this. He was like the hero of the place. And it took a lot of his time. And, you know, um, I could always go down. We used to we used to live right upstairs from it. So if I ever wanted to see him, I could go downstairs and like hang out with him. And I would like work the counter at like 12 years old and, you know, look up spark plugs for people and stuff like that. So um, but there was this uh, realization that, you know, having a business means it can have a lot of your time. And, you know, I was one of the first in my family to get a college degree and started this. Um, I worked in product development. We started this design um, business together and I could see that it was like time dependent again. Sure. Um, and so uh, all that to add into like whatever this new thing that we were thinking about, we knew we from the get go, it was going to be designed to not have that element to it. Like it was like, you know, that's one of the top priorities. I, that's that's really interesting. Um, and in fact, I, this is where I wish we had graphics that popped up on the screen to <laughs> capture that. So this wasn't a passion play where you guys were like, hey, we've always wanted to start a coffee shop. Let's do this. This was here are our goals for this business. What mod what business models fit those goals is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And we were, we were noodling on it for a while. It, it didn't come quickly. And so we were, we were doing a lot of research um, and thinking about different things. Like Miguel said, we did have this concept for um, a chocolate, uh, chocolate sh shop kind of experience. I started taking classes at the French pastry school and we were sort of on that path. Um, and then we, at around the same time, we just personally started to discover specialty coffee. Um, and this was around, I don't know, 2005, maybe. Um, okay. And we were going to uh, some of the best coffee shops here um, in the city. And uh, and at some point, I don't know if we saw a book at like a Barnes and Noble or something. It was sort of like how to financially run a coffee shop or something. Yeah. But we were like, oh, wait a minute let's look at that. And then we found this book and we saw some of the like sort of pro forma income statement kind of things that they had in it. And we looked at that and we thought about it and that we ended sense. up shifting gears towards that. Um, and then our target was really like, try and understand the financials. What would it mean to try and get an SBA loan? Um, we realized that we were at a deficit by not having experience in, um, in the industry or in restaurants. So I went and got a job at a Starbucks for three months to try and understand what is an efficient system look like for that. Um, we also knew at some point we were going to be trying to get a loan. And at some point they're going to ask, have either of you ever worked in a coffee shop? And the answer right. needs to be yes. <laughs> yeah. So we did a ton of research. We traveled yeah. to some of the best coffee cities in the U.S. We started to go to every trade show we possibly could. And it probably took us about, in total, about two to two and a half years from that like conversation where we had, oh, coffee is a business, to where we finally actually did get open. So it was a pretty intensive process developing the business plan, you know, getting the loan, all that stuff too. I think it's also worth adding that at the time, you know, there are these really great shops doing really great quality coffee, but the the feel of the place, like when you went in there, it didn't really kind of like feel 
like us or like or we didn't really like it and then there was the chain coffee shop like experience was, was had a feeling that was like it was like this there was like a gap between the kind of bohemian coffee shop and a chain like coffee shop experience true. and there wasn't this really like um and coming from a design background we had the ability to kind of like really redefine and, and shape what that a new a different kind of experience and now you see them everywhere like you know they're all kind of, kind of the warm modern kind of design and stuff high quality high quality none of that existed at the time we were like the, actually we won an award um uh for our shop that was a uh, proof that evolution exists um from timeout magazine and uh that was it we were like changing the landscape or changing the what it meant to have a, a high quality shop had um, had you guys read The E-Myth by Michael Gerber? Yes. Yeah. And in yeah. fact, that was one of the books that we <laughs> had read during that period. Yeah. So we went into starting our business with having read The E-Myth and The E-Myth Revisited. And that those were the conversations that we were having. Oh, you know, right. The Pie Woman and you know, all that stuff. Um, Cashflow but, Quadrants was another book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that was like, we went into it with that. We had a love for coffee. We didn't know how to make it back then on our own obviously that was a part of the research process but um but we went in wanting to learn from starbucks in terms of how obviously howard schultz was not in every starbucks teaching people how to make coffee or making coffee for people so learning how they do things with consistency um, and efficiency and then um you know frankly paying paying uh for template management restaurant management books and seeing how they were doing it um and so when we launched we were already going in with all kinds of like templates and checklists mm -hmm. um and you know the first i don't know six months or something we probably were there every morning every day and miguel was still doing design work because we needed working capital and we needed to pay our bills and all that kind of stuff too so those were some pretty intensive years yeah. i don't want to give the impression that we opened up and right away we were hands off we were not we were it was very intense for many years actually between the two businesses um but even even from i would say three to six months in we weren't the ones opening the store and we weren't the ones closing the store anymore um we had built the systems so that we had an am shift and a pm shift and we have an am supervisor and a pm supervisor um and that's how we ran for a few years before we had any kind of assistant manager at all actually it's funny uh story too i used to tell my dad and my mom about kind of like how we were doing things and what they couldn't believe was the fact that we weren't the ones responsible for making deposits in the bank that we had worked it out so that like even the you know um the closing shift in the morning would end up do that do that step and for them it was just like like how is that even possible like, it, like wait a minute doesn't even you're, you're, you're gonna trust someone else with the bag yeah yeah like and uh, <laughs> i think it's something that you saw at starbucks that's how yeah so we had you know basically each shift has to count their drawer before you know if somebody coming in counts the drawer before they start the person coming out counts it when they yep. leave and then the next person counts it right away so there's all these like accountabilities and checks and balances built into the system and then the am person at some point comes off the floor does you know basically does a double check references it against sales, et cetera, preps the deposit, and then just walks over to the bank and does the deposit and picks up some bananas on the way back or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, and so that was sort of like how we had developed that from the start. 
So, yeah. okay. So before we move past this point, because I, I, there's, there's a lot to take from what you've just said. And so many of the things you identified as learning points that you did before you started the business, most owners start to learn after they start the business. So looking back, what, why, why did you do it that way? Was it, what was it? The family history? Was it mistakes you'd seen others make? Why, why were you as thoughtful about starting as you were? Well, I think, well, the, definitely the, the family history plays into it, but reading a book like the e shows you that it it's might be possible to do it a different way. Hmm. Um, and so it's just like, um, you know, I know oftentimes and like when you're designing some, I'll, I'll definitely use design as an analogy for a lot of life lessons. Um, cause that's another thing we kind of like, we always set out to design our life is kind of a way we kind of approach how our life just in general. And, um, once you're aware, a, a big part of design is like knowing what your options are. And that comes with experience. And so books like the E-Myth or cash flow quadrants, I think it showed us a different way of thinking. And it's basically, it became an option. And once you're aware of that as an option, you can start to work towards that. Um, and uh, we just did it very deliberately. And I want to say that you're uh, in your kind of design training systems was a huge part of like her, um, we met in graduate school. Um, and it was a big part of um, the approach that our school took. And, um, and you took like the, some of the thing classes you were taking took systems to a whole other level too. I was like, yeah. And I think um, Miguel mentioned the cash flow quadrant. And I don't always think of that as being a start of the business. I think of EMIF more directly, but I think the cash flow quadrant made a distinction and it's been so long. So if I don't quite get the terminology right, forgive me, but basically the difference between uh, being self-employed and being a business owner. Mm -hmm. So um, that we were at the point where we were doing consulting work and we saw we were in one quadrant or whatever it was, and we wanted specifically to move into a different quadrant. And so that's why like from the outset, the goal was to create something that wouldn't rely on us in order to run. Um, and I think I heard, Dave, I think I heard you say like leverage other people's labor. Um, yeah. So I think that's the terminology, but you know, I don't think that's the way we would have you know, said it to ourselves, but we might've said it more like we wanted to be able to operate on its own and generate income on its own without us. Or I would say like, um, you want to own the business. You don't have the business to own you. Yep. It's just right. right. You, you had intention. Yeah. Um, so, so to that point, g give us a sense for when you started, um, how large, I mean, how many employees did you start with on day one? And if you would ballpark, ballpark for us, the question of capital to get to that point, because that's obviously, that's a function of, um, or, or as an impact for a lot of folks starting a business is they're working very lean or they don't have the time or the money to do it the right way. Where were you when you started? So uh, before I even answer your question, if you don't mind me to just take one second and just to just acknowledge that, um, you guys set us up really wonderfully and we sound hugely successful, but obviously this has been a very challenging journey. Of and course. Financially, 
you know, things have not always gone the way we wanted. And certainly even in terms of like setting up systems and wanting to be independent, things have not always over the years played out in that way exactly. And it's been like, there's been sort of cycles that have happened mm -hmm. both in terms of our, our energy that we needed to put into the shop and also economically or financially how things were flowing either in or out and those kinds of things too. So um, I don't want to at all give the impression that um, everything ran smoothly from right. the start. It didn't. There's been many ups and downs along the way. Um, so from the start, um, financially, to answer that part, um, we did need an SBA loan in order to get started. Um, we are already had already been pretty good savers um, up until that point. And so that gave us a leg up. Um, I think we uh, scavenged money as we could. We maybe did a 401k loan. We we did a little borrowing from, from maybe friends and family or whatever, and we're able to hobble enough together because we recognized that it was going to cost a lot of money. Yeah, your first year was going to be at a loss. I think it was like we wanted a year's worth of working capital in the bank. Yeah, in addition to the cost of a build out, which was is significant because of things like plumbing and electrical and those kinds of things for a coffee shop. I know it seems like, oh, you just get some thrift store couches or something, but the build out was very expensive, took much longer and cost much more. And we had sort of accounted for that already, but in all honesty, I think we actually ended up needing to get like a second piggyback loan beyond the SBA loan already because we were already could see we were burning through our startup before we even got open, um, there were some issues with our the landlord not turning over the space in a timely way. And we got delayed by seven to nine months. Um, wow. We were already having to pay back our SBA loan. So that was an incredibly stressful and financially draining year already. Oh, yeah. The SBA had a six month grace period. And we burned through it. And we were just we like were sitting there closed while we were waiting for some of these days. Because there was, was like, no painful. water, there was no electricity <laughs> in the building. We were done building, but like it wasn't, it wasn't ready. So all that stuff, like I didn't have gray hair before that. we started this process, <laughs> um, but we certainly did. Um, yeah, even after just that first year. You know, oddly enough, the way the way the universe works, though, so like you were in this need where you need capital, right? And on the design business side, like that phone kept on ringing. Hmm. So I just said yes to everything. So he was doing design work and, like, and I was managing. But like started. basically working my own like three shifts. Like, you know, I'd get up at 4.30 to, and work to, to 6.30. We'd have breakfast. Then I'd go on site to work somewhere to, to, till 4.30. Then I'd come home, eat dinner. And then we'd watch a little something. And then I'd work from like 6.30 to 10 and rinse and repeat. And But I mean, that was a great year on the design side. But like, you know, we needed to do it. And there was like a very clear reason to do it. And there were systems there to help make that happen too. You know, that was like, yeah. So, and then in terms of, um, in terms of starting, we were open seven days a week from six 30 in the morning. So we needed staff there at 6 AM all the way through it. When we opened, we were open until nine. nine. And yeah. so we needed staff there until nine 30 or 10. So those are long days, seven days a week with a minimum of two people on. So I think we had probably around 10, employees when we started plus the two of us were also working on the floor um sometimes too so that, sure. that that question and our initial naive uh i think intention with this business was that we would hire a general manager 
to, even though we had systems in place, we recognized that we would still need somebody overall like in charge and, and with the buck stops with them kind of a thing. Um, and then we would open maybe two or three more shops and then we were gonna sell this whole thing uh, and I don't know, go off into the sunset or something. And, you know, reality just didn't match that. So we had all these challenges of timing and getting open and it cost more and all that kind of stuff. Um, we started off with revenue higher than we expected, but the growth was slower. And so in terms of like how reality matched our financial expectations, that was definitely sort of challenging. Um, and it did continue to grow and eventually got to a point where that was much better. But those first couple of years, there were a lot of unknowns about that. Um, and basically there was just never enough profit there over that we had this heavy SBA loan that we were paying back. There just wasn't enough money to pay a manager. So that plan kind of went out the window. And then it had been such a sort of stressful process. We had taken a uh, what do you call it? Like a home, not a home equity loan, but like our condo was on the line for our mortgage, you know, for the SBA mm. loan as collateral and stuff too. It was so stressful that the idea of now trying to borrow more money to open another two or three, it just, it, it didn't happen. And so we basically were just on the one shop plan. Um, and also kind of, I still remember in my, my head, I knew that like, you know, you often hear that like the odds of lasting five years are really low for a lot of businesses and our SBA to pay off our loans, we needed six years. <laughs> and so I, I, that used to just weigh on me so much. Yeah. It's because like, you've forgotten about it now, but just those, yeah. <laughs> those loans were just, it was so heavy on us for so long. So the amount of celebration um, once we got out of a loan was... Yeah. And then the yeah, idea what, of doing it again the same way was like not, we were not up for that. And we did start to say like, maybe we would do it again once we had discovered the term other people's money, that if we could crack the nut of how to use other people's money, then maybe we would do it. But in terms of putting ourselves in the same hole again, we were just too gun shy. I think we didn't want to go through that process yeah. again. Was there a was there a particular pivot point? I mean, you're going through the startup. We're learning how to run the business. We're doing all that. Do you recall when you got to that place where you were like, okay, it's time for us to start stepping back. It's time for this. Was there a specific point or was it more gradual than that? Maybe having Max, having kiddo. Yeah. So after the first, like I said, maybe three to six months, we were really on site like all the time. But don't forget. And this has been a this is a strong theme up through recently, um, which is we're talking about like a 17 year uh, arc, uh, is that we're always on call. Even if you're not there, you're on right. call. Yep. And I never would have imagined how many things can go wrong <laughs> with a business like a coffee shop. Um, from everything from the human side of it, um, staff side of it, to just the sheer number of things that can break. Um, equipment wise or facility wise um, or technology wise um, it's it's an infinite number of things can go wrong and do and you never know when they're going to be so even though we had systems in place we were still like the buck stops with us and you know problem solving like beyond us the uh, the, beyond the individual kind of like transactional level problems which the staff could solve 
always got bumped up to us. So, you know, being on call for that amount of time is, is really huge. But I think there's one, uh, one factor that kind of jumps out in my mind about like when it tells you it's okay to kind of like pull back a little bit is you end up, I think, um, you end up with a few staff members that just have this quality of just like, they, there's, there's like a level of res- they're just like earnest and there's like a level of like trust professionalism yeah and like they won't freak out under pressure i still remember one of our employees like there was a um a water leak upstairs and so we literally had water like dripping water coming from our our uh light above the espresso machine above the espresso <laughs> pouring machine. down from the ceiling and you know if you're working and, and you see that happening and given on the personality type some people might just totally freak out call you screaming and other people will be like, hmm, that's strange. Well, I'm going to get some buckets first and just do what I can. And then calmly say what's happening, send a picture and ask what I should do. And so you, you start to encounter people that you feel like you can trust more. Um, and that's when you I think that's when you start to kind of like pull back. You feel OK about pulling back. Yeah. And, I, and you're kind of like focused about initially. I want to say like one kind of and Lee mentioned that we had talked about the idea of having kind of a general manager. And we did try that once, but the e-myth I remember gives you kind of like this cautionary tale of mm. like, um, you give that one person so much responsibility and then they leave and then you're stuck in it. Yep. Um, and we were kind of about to experience that too, I remember. But then you had this idea of like splitting the role of a manager amongst three people. So, um, and you did it in terms of like training, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, scheduling and maintenance, yeah. right? So, or, so um, we ended up splitting it amongst facilities staff. So, like yeah. HR, hiring, scheduling, dealing with the mm-hmm. calling in six, all that kind of stuff, um, and purchasing. So that's doing inventory and making weekly orders. Um, but it. It did, we didn't get there right away, like Miguel said. So to 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 kind of just jump around a little, jump back for a second, and we'll jump forward again. Mike, your question was, what really triggered a change? We were already had sort of stepped back. We weren't there like all the time, but uh, it was really when we were at the point where we were ready to start our family. So um, we um, have one son now, and at that point, like when I was pregnant. Uh, we already knew obviously that we couldn't be as, you know, we needed, we needed more flexibility. Um, and at the time we had an employee and she was just like one of those employees that just, they just rise to the top. You can just tell they, uh, I mean, every, almost everybody who works at a coffee shop is, uh, what's the expression over, over, uh, qualified, overqualified, yeah. are qualified to be there. You know, these are, these are smart on the ball people who have usually graduated from college and they're in a transition period. So everybody there can do much more than what they're doing working in our shop. But some people just really thrive there and are ready to take on more responsibility and you can tell they can handle it. And we happen, we got lucky that um, that an employee we had at the time was interested. And so I basically had promoted her to be assistant manager um, while, uh, while we were pregnant and then had a kid and it was great but you know people in transition transition and uh at some point she left and i think we 
may have transferred that role to somebody else. And we went through that process a few times, but it was always had that fear of what happens when that person goes. And so at that point, um, I thought, let's try something different this time. And I split that that assistant manager role into like three different assistant manager roles and then had three different people. And then at least if somebody left, it wasn't like everything all at once was going to come back onto us like that, because that was always just this weighted kind of worry about that. Um, and that really like that model, we kind of stuck with for years. And then we also had somebody that we call the training manager that was a little bit more of sort of, sort of like a catch all helped with systems, helped with training when training, when we had new employees come on board or with rolling out changes or things that I wanted to happen. So they'd be like more like my go-to person if I needed something to be done where I would meet once a week. Um, in person with all of those assistant managers for an hour or two, basically to touch base with everybody. And then I was still on call um, if people needed things or when things went wrong, which did still happen. So even though we had that system and that went for years, um, you know, when COVID hit, uh, we really had to jump back in and, and we were also working on projects in the background. So in 2019, for instance, we had been working investing time in developing uh, ordering app um, for smartphones. And that was like a behind the scenes project kind of thing that we would be doing. And then we kind of lucked out that when COVID hit, we had our app sort of ready in place, but we still need to make a ton of adaptations to the way we were running the business during that time period. So, um, so that was like, kind of like we were a startup again, trying to sort everything out and figure everything out. But other than that, we went back to the like assistants are sort of like running their individual like area. Um, and I'm just meeting with them either remotely or in person once a week for a couple hours and then handle. So, so at that point, Lee, at that peak independence, how many hours a week are the two of you putting into the business? It could be as little as two, as much as, I don't know, six or seven um, plus the on-call time. And frankly, it was the on-call time and the constantly being worried. I was still worried if one of those assistants was going to leave. We had had somebody leave yeah. in 2021 abruptly. Like the day we were leaving on our vacation, the person quit. And it was very stressful um, and worrying and disappointing and all, you know, all these emotions and feelings and stuff. And, uh, and it just, it was just this level of anxiety. And so there was sort of what was happening with the staffing and the responsibilities. And then if we were to overlay onto that, what was happening financially with the business over the years, it didn't always match up, right? And so if the business is making a lot of money and you've got more stress, well, maybe that's fine. But when you get these, I don't know, I can't do this with my hands here, but if you've got like, <laughs> you're not making a ton financially, but you've got a lot of stresses and worries at the same time. Well, those are the times when finally, I think you say, is this worth it right. for us? Yeah. Um, the amount of, you know, there've been more and more, the, the coffee industry had been changing over the years, um, that our city, um, the coffee industry had been changing. And even in our neighborhood, there'd been more and more competition coming in, um, even from like smaller chains that sort of had indie cred. Um, and it, it was eating away at our, at our revenue. And so 
there just really wasn't that much financially. We had these long six-year lease options um, that we had committed to, you know, seven years prior or whatever, before, you know, what financially was going to be happening. COVID was absolutely exhausting and terrifying and emotionally draining, having to deal with being everybody's therapist, you know, about how they're going to feel about all pandemic related stuff, whether it's employees or customers or whatever it is. And we just got to the point where when it was time to decide if we wanted to do another six year commitment, uh, the answer was no, that wasn't something that we wanted to do mm -hmm. anymore. Also um, adding to the fact that both of our parents are, um, you know, late seventies, eighties. Yeah. We've got, we've got they, personal we don't, they responsibilities. Don't live in, they don't live in our city. Sure. And so yeah, you can, you know, coming, looking into the future, like the demands in your time and, um, and if, the there was some revenue there, but like, is it worth it um, for the amount of stress that you're trading off? And the, you know, the answer for us at this stage in our life was no, you know. Yeah, it wasn't worth it, it anymore. You know, when you were init initially, when you started the story, <clears throat> you were talking about how you, you knew you were self-employed. You wanted to create this business that would require less of your time to create that cash flow. I was immediately thinking about the the cash flow quadrants book by Robert Kiyosaki the, that we've mentioned here. Um, and it's interesting because I was highly influenced by his writing too. It's what led me to go out and buy a bunch of apartment buildings. And when I was young, I used to manage all the tenants and I used to mow the lawns and paint the walls and fix the toilets and all that kind of stuff. And then when my children came along, so I, I got into that family phase, uh, I couldn't do that anymore. I had to start paying other people to do all those things. And that's when the truth of my situation became apparent. When, when, when I actually had to pay other people to be painting the walls and mowing the lawns and all that kind of stuff. And, and it wasn't nearly as lucrative as I, as I thought, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it sounds like that's kind of the, the same sort of realization you ended up making. But by the time you got most of the duties and tasks um, delegated to other people, and you were really left with the responsibilities, which an owner I don't think can ever really escape from, um, you, were, you were then left at this point saying, is there still enough cash flow here for it to warrant my being concerned the phone might ring at 11 p.m.? That's right. Well, it's always one phone call away, right? One yeah. email away. And, and you know, we, we hear all the time in the marketplace about, you know, buy a business and hire someone to run it. And this, this perception of um, passive income through mm -hmm. business ownership. But it, the two of you are telling the story that I've certainly experienced and sounds like David has, which is one email away, right? Yeah. What, one text, uh, Mary didn't show up. Uh, what do you mean Mary didn't show up? And now I'm down the rabbit hole. And mm -hmm. did, But it sounds like at some point you've reached a place where you were, where that was lessened, but it still wasn't you weren't free enough. So you pursued a sale, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, 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 uh, the lease being up was the trigger. That's the trigger. Like, you know, we need to, we knew we didn't want to sign another lease. And so what are our options? So if we go back a, a couple of years too, if we're looking at 2018, 2019, where we're like maybe the halfway point of the of the six year lease option, um, we weren't sure what we were going to do. Um, that year, there had been new competition in the neighborhood. We weren't really sure yet of how much it was going to affect us. Um, 
And, you know, maybe at that point we thought, oh, we'll just try and make it through the end of this lease because we did have a personal guarantee on that lease also, which was a big factor also in terms mm -hmm. of closing the business down was not really a great option for us because we were on the hook. Um, and then COVID hit. And then that was like the last thing on our mind. It was just survival at any cost. Let's try and keep the business open. Let's try and keep all the staff employed. Um, we actually did okay during COVID, I think, because we adapted fairly quickly and fairly well, frankly, um, that our financials weren't as bad as they could have been. Um, and then when you add in that, you know, we did go through government support programs through the pandemic, um, we were kind of okay through that. And then it wasn't until we sort of did our sort of reopen about halfway through 2021 that business started to come back and it kind of started to come back gangbusters. It was like really good. And at that point we only had a couple months left before we had to decide about whether we were going to renew the lease. And so Dave, this is where you kind of pick up into our story, which is that within about five or six months of that, we were trying to figure out, Hey, rather than looking at a wind down scenario, we really could potentially be looking at a sale scenario. And so that's when we were doing research and we had been sort of like, trying to understand what it takes to sell a business for years. And Dave, I don't think I ever told you this, but I had discovered some of your YouTube videos a few years prior. I had seen some comments of yours on Reddit and I had bookmarked your name. And so by the time we reached out for a phone call to you at the beginning of this year, um, you were already on our radar as a potential resource to help us with the process um, of trying to see. We didn't, we hadn't, uh, what do you call it? We hadn't, uh, alerted or gave notice that we did want to renew, um, which was technically had already been due a few months prior because we had to give one year notice. And so we weren't even sure if it was worthwhile trying to find a buyer without having um, that lease already in place past the end of this year. And so um, that's when we reached out to Dave to talk about was this even feasible or not. And, 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 and before we talk about the, the final exit, I, I'd like to just revisit a couple of things that have been mentioned a few times here is about how the neighborhood changed, the market changed, the coffee business was changing, new competitors were coming in. We, we talk a lot about how uh, small business is very risky. And a lot of the times there can be things that happen that have nothing to do with you, your decisions or your operations can have a huge impact on whether a business can be successful or not. Given the ups and downs uh, that you've experienced over the course of time and, and given the, the frights and the circumstances that have come up by these new competitors that have come in, how do you look at this entrepreneurial journey? Do you, do, do you look back at it and, and wish that you hadn't done it? Or, or do you just look at it like some big component of who you are today? And regardless of what the numbers say, you, you're glad that you went through it. I yeah, I think more the latter. I think we're yeah. always like, what have we learned from this process? Mm -hmm. And I think also, it's funny, I think this overall, there have been many tough years financially, but there were also good years. And we are very good, like squirrel savers, you know? And so um, this overall, this business has been good to us. Um, it's just also been very challenging and it sort of has taken over our identity and you know it's like everything all the time but overall I, I don't think we would trade it for anything we learned a ton about 
business in a way that mm -hmm. we didn't as just self-employed contractors, um, just understanding, you know, the, the realities of what it is to run a business to understand. Um, I think we had a good sense of revenue understanding, but we didn't really have a good sense of understanding different kinds of expenses. Um, we've learned a ton about accounting and taxes and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, we are, we are, we know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff in that process during that same time period, rather, we also started to try and sell a physical product through our design business. And we learned things about that. So we're just constantly soaking up our experiences and trying to gain new wisdom and, you know, we'll figure out what's next from that. So I think overall, I don't think we would change anything really. I, I remember at the time um, in the beginning, we were like, should we do this or shouldn't we? And so like, you know, when you're, when you're asking yourself that question, you need to ask yourself and be honest, like, well, what would you do if it, is this it where failed? I had to freak out when I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, yeah, I, <laughs> I had I was, a freak out. And I was like, what if, what if it fails? I was like, well, I was like, if it fails, you know, we both have college degrees. We're employable. Um, I, I had worked in an auto parts, uh, doing deliveries for my dad's auto parts stores. I know what it's like to work in mechanic shops and it's a hundred degrees out and you're doing deliveries. <laughs> and I'm like, the worst case scenario for us is not bad compared to what like a lot of people are facing. <laughs> so like, and also like, do you want to live a life where you kind of say to your, you know, like, at least we tried, you know, and I think that's something that like, we'd rather, we'd rather have an experience of trying. And absolutely, that doesn't mean to be foolhardy, right? Right. But do your due diligence and make sure you're doing it doing your best. And if you, if you fail, but you could say I did my absolute best, then you really have nothing to be afraid of. I think, and that was something that we're, that helped kind of like, okay, let's just take this leap. And what, what, one other thing from that conversation that Miguel said that I think affected me hugely was, uh, and maybe it was in what you just said, but I just want to highlight it is if it all goes wrong, we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, we are capable and we will figure it out. And I don't know, it was like a big, it was like a big relief to just, I mean, it's not like I didn't know that, I guess, but I just needed to hear it. And, and so when you made the decision, you know, we don't want to renew our lease, uh, we met and I helped you guys out, but you guys really sold the place on your own. What, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and, and the types of buyers that you met and, and what your, what your experience was like when you started to talk about you know, selling this business you had developed to one of these new people? Um, so we knew that, uh, we also read your book. I didn't add that one in too. Um, uh, we understood that we, this is not like a multi-million dollar business that's going to appeal to, you know, particular kinds of investors and all kinds of stuff. So I think we had a pretty, I think we bounce between realistic and pessimistic. That's probably like the range. <laughs> We're like very cynical about things or um, And so, and we had questions. You know, I think before we reached out to you, Dave, we also talked to a local lawyer who we thought might have some, some, I don't know, understand business lawyer who we thought might have some ideas too. And we just basically really didn't know whether or not this was something that was going to be appealing to anybody. Um, and so when we reached out to you, we came out of that feeling pretty good. 
Um, and I, I don't want to like sound like I'm just like, oh, Dave is so great. <laughs> but we came yeah, out. Don't, don't go down that road. This guy really knows his stuff. You know, like we, we really um, had a great conversation with you. And, and I just want to say, like, that's not always the case when we talk to professionals and advisors. I think oftentimes, you know, we are a little disappointed, frankly, with the advice that we hear or the kind of thinking that we've heard or even other kinds of professional services. We've, you know, as entrepreneurs, I think we think that we're the best and we know how to do everything better than everybody else. And sometimes that seems to be the case after we've worked with somebody and we've paid them and we think like, geez, we probably could have done that ourselves and paid a lot less money or had a lot less stressful experience and stuff. And so the idea we had on our whiteboard here uh, after we spoke with you, Dave, we had a literally a list that we made up and it was like the pros of trying to do it ourselves and the pros of trying to hire a broker and also the cons and the, or the risks of that. And I think one of the biggest ones was that like we hire a broker and we're not really thrilled with the uh, investment that they put into the job. And we end up basically like coming in to try and do it anyway. And now we're paying a broker and we're doing the work ourselves. And so we felt because of the sort of products or the, the packages that you offered, Dave, um, that you could do the parts that we felt less comfortable mm -hmm. with and add, and you could add some wisdom and experience to, but, um, but that we also brought things to the table um, we're clearing out all our files right now because of the business. And I, you know, I literally have right here the business plan that we put together to sell the business to the bank, you know, 16 years ago, we've sort of gone through the process of trying to sell this business too. And so I think that ultimately um, the, the path that we took, which was sort of two tiered, I would say like where we sent out um, anonymous profiles to prospects through you, um, to help with the anonymization of that. And then also and, and these were to the potential strategic acquirers. So these were people in related somehow to the coffee industry sure. that, that you had picked out that might have been interested. That so that was one yeah. tack that right. was taken. In which case, like I was the one who went through and did the research to create that list. And that's what we would have been looking at, I guess, a broker to do. And I didn't feel that I felt I knew the industry here better than some potential broker would anyway. Um, and then the other path was to have you put uh, list the business anonymously on the business buy sell kind of sites, mm -hmm. um, which we assumed a broker could do that part, you know, fine. Um, and so I think we just felt that between our skills and your skills and certainly our motivation, like we had the most motivation of anybody would have, that that would be um, as good, if not better than trying to hire a broker and potentially would save us money. And I think that in the end, it it probably did. And honestly, I'm not so confident that a broker would have been able to do what, what we were able to do. Yeah, I just want to add that, like, that's all through the lens of like, you know, the, the lease was going to be up in October. If we had three years to go through this process, I don't know, maybe we'd have looked at it differently, but because- This, of, this was a time sensitive operation. Yeah, yeah, it was very time sensitive. And, you know, for re reasons outside our control too, because trying to sell during COVID and all this, like it was just complicated. And so, sure, yeah, we were definitely incentivized to work as hard as we could and do the best we can to sell it. And it, also the mindset of like, if we do our best and we can't, then we did all of our best. Then we did our best. Like there was really nothing else. Because I, in all honesty, I was very, very stressed out about 
the prospect of having to close the business, yeah, having to lay off like 11 or 12 people and to have what is frankly a, a, a beloved institution in the neighborhood close and to become a pariah in our community um, for having closed this thing that frankly people really, really love and have strong feelings about. And I didn't sleep this year. Like I, it was a very, very <laughs> stressful year. Um, I appreciate also, Dave, you, you talked me down off the ledge a few times too, I think with some very curt, but to the point emails, which I appreciated. Um, but it's been a very emotional process too. You know, not just, this is not just about numbers. It's about our life. It's about our reputation. Yeah. It's about, you know, guilt and, you know, all these kinds of things too. So that answers the first part. I know you also asked the question about uh, the kinds of buyers too, but I'll just pause there for a second in case there's anything you want to say about that before I answer your second part of your question. Well, no, I, I appreciate I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much. Um, and, and yeah, like tell us about the people you met. Well, were there some big surprises or insights in it when you started to have these conversations? Yeah, I mean, how many real prospects did you end up talking with? Not the not the tire kickers. How, how many real potential buyers do you feel you engaged? So in total, it was probably really like maybe around four potential options, maybe five. So, so in a in a loose and somewhat anonymousy kind of way, I will say that um, the first response that we had was from one of the. Um, one of the de direct reach outs from researching the what what Dave's calling the what would you call them the uh, uh, strategic, strategic uh, buyers thing, yeah. um, and we you know met after hours at the business, did a tour, and had some conversation. It was somebody that we knew from the industry um, a little bit. We didn't know him personally, but um, but there was some mutual respect already, um, and uh they wanted to use or, or hoped to work with an investor that they knew to do the to other people's money the opms <laughs> um which we've never figured out how to do but but happy for anybody else who can figure out how to do that <laughs> um but the investor was not very responsive and it just kind of fizzled out um and so then we actually had another person that we knew in the industry fairly well, so well that I hadn't felt comfortable having Dave send them out the thing, but I just reached out to them individually and um, they were very interested, um, almost like overwhelmingly so. And we had about a week of, oh boy, this looks like it's gonna happen. And then uh, sort of reality set in as they started to, not even doing due diligence, it didn't even get that far, but just once they started to like slow down talk to other people in the company. Um, and then that sort of didn't really happen. And so that was like, whoo, big emotional roller coaster. Um, and then at that point, I think that's when the listing had gone online, um, like uh, with an anonymous sort of one pager. But if they did the NDA, then uh, we would start conversations. And we started to get some nibbles and bites, but from our perspective, they really weren't the kind of buyers that we thought would be successful um, taking over the business. And I don't know how many of those, but my guess is maybe there are like five or six or eight of those. But we we had a couple of phone conversations, but really nothing ever really moved forward too much from there until one did 
about a month or two in and uh, it was a strategic fire. Um, and that started to turn into like more serious conversations. Wait, one of them even got an offer though from a non-strategic person. One of the persons. That's what I'm talking about right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, um, and, and eventually they actually had a visit. They were from out of town and they came and visited. We had a big dinner. They even met with the landlord. Um, I, I don't know how much actually in detail I want to get in here, but let's just say that that was moving towards an offer coming in. And then it just so happened that the very first strategic buyer that we had met with that had had the slow responding investor had another investor and they came back in at almost exactly the same time as we were getting an offer from these out of town strategic buyers. And that timing certainly helped us because we were able to say, hey, look, we've just got an offer. If you're serious, let's try and move this forward. And then basically we, were, we as I think Dave put it, divine intervention. <laughs> um, it seemed divine intervention. We actually had these two competing offers right at the same time, um, which from there we ended up working with the, with the buyer that had been the first person that had come to us um, and that we knew locally and that we thought would be a good, a good fit overall for, um, for the business. And so uh, again, another couple of months of a lot of stress and, and trying to make sure just because we were so under the gun for timing because of the lease, but, um, but ultimately it was a, it was a full price cash offer and we, took it and we're just finishing up the process of transition right now. And it looks like things are going okay over there. I still go there <laughs> in the morning for my for my regular drink, but um, yeah, still working. And if it doesn't, um, there's nothing really we can do about it. We try to support yeah. them as best they can, but they're actually extremely independent, more independent than I would have thought. They've wanted really less uh, support from us than I would have expected, but maybe it's not surprising. They're already entrepreneurs and business owners, and I'm sure they think that mm -hmm know that or feel like they know what they're doing and that their path is right and so we're just trying to step back and the last couple of months have been us sort of unwinding ourselves uh both transactionally but also emotionally from this business that's been just such a key part of our life for the last 17 years tell, tell us more about that part because i've been lucky enough to sell a few businesses and i have gotten addicted to that time period right after the sale <laughs> um, talk a little bit about that. What did it feel like to sign that piece of paper? Uh, it's the analogy uh, that was put forth to me, I think it kind of fits, is it felt like I was like we were sending a kid off to college. Um, You've known everything about everything they're doing all day long, all the time. And now all of a sudden they're still out there, but like you're not so entwined with it and you don't really know what's going on. So yeah. I, I even had this just, re I didn't realize that I'd had these habits of like five, five plus times a day of going and looking at Square on my phone and just seeing how <laughs> sales are going. You know, it's just, it's just this thing you do, just like you check your email and you check sales and, and, uh, you know, that alone took, it was maybe a week before I was like, you know what? I don't even need this app on my phone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, mean, I don't have to do this anymore. Sale was, this was during the, we had a 30 day kind of transition, like we're all, we're all like, we're on call, we're on call to kind of to be involved or just, and so I'm, um, we live close to the lake and I'm playing basketball with my son. They have a nice basketball court out there. 
we're having a hot, it's beautiful morning, like 10 o'clock in the morning, sunny, it's gorgeous. We're playing. And then I get my, my watch dings and I see a Slack message and it's like, you know, the fridge hinge broke. So like the, fr <laughs> the milk fridge, the milk fridge is the door won't stay closed. Now it's, it's just like, I'm like, oh, here we go. This is like exactly, <laughs> and I just want to be focused on playing. And I see the, you know, I see people respond and it's not me. And like, you know, in a matter of 15 minutes, there's a plan to get, it's done. Like I'm like not involved. It's, and that was such a, so satisfying. <laughs> and I just continued to play basketball and that would not have happened. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there are so many great things about this business over the years, both both financially and what we've learned, but also the relationships that we've built and the uh, the the positive feedback from so many people, the connection to our community. There's a ton of really great things, um, but there are also a lot of stresses and and little problems that come up. And so I, I told I told you this, Dave, already, but. But now that whenever we have a sense of something that could be a problem or a worry or even just other things in our neighborhood, you know, these other businesses that have opened competition, they used to be a source of stress for us. We would cross the street to not have to, <laughs> you know, to see these competitive businesses and stuff. And now like that weight is lifted from us because it doesn't hurt us. It's not stressful for us right. that there's like other coffee shops in our neighborhood. In fact, now we can kind of see it as a, oh, it's actually a nice benefit that there's other coffee shops in this in the neighborhood. And of course we want the, uh, the business to go on, you know, really well, of course too. But whenever we have a sense that something is going on or we see a thing, we have a little thing we say, which is nope. And it stands for not our problem evermore. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So there's a lot of great things, but also there's a lot of things that are not our problem anymore. <laughs> love that. What a great story. What a great, I mean, the journeys, the ups and the downs, and uh, you tell the story with such uh, realism and, and true engagement. I, I, I just want to express my appreciation for that because again, it, this exit space is so weird for so many owners and it, you guys have been on an authentic journey through that. And that, uh, and you, you, you touched almost all of the key areas, right? The, I did it independently. I, um, looking back, um, uh, any 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 call out? Uh, anything you would do differently? What's the one? What's the one lesson learned from this to pass on to owners who are listening to your story? Before I actually answer that one, or if you have an answer for it, I will right. just say that one thing about the process that I don't think we mentioned that I think is um, a little heavy is that it's also a very lonely feeling mm -hmm. at least that I had and and you know I think the fact that we were a partnership made it bearable but there's a huge amount of loneliness in terms of bearing the weight of those stresses and not feeling comfortable sharing them with our friends and family friends especially and especially because a lot of our friends live in our community and our customers and right. you know we don't want people saying oh did you know that that you know, there's worries and stresses and that, you know, the competition is hurting them and, you know, all this kind of stuff or problems with staff. Like we're not the kind of people that that want to share that stuff with other people, especially because it could even harm 
theoretically the brand or the the whatever and so maybe that's a lesson learned there needs to be an outlet for that kind of thing maybe i really think that there's a space for just like business therapists like self you know self-employed owner therapists and maybe you acted a little bit like that during this process but but even for not just during this process it's um it and i don't think that's i think there's an idea that you know the ceo is the loneliest job or you know i certainly heard that kind of idea before but it certainly is true that um it is it is these are burdens that we and sometimes joys that we carry internally and all on our own that um that is definitely tough and so one of the really like the big things that i'm feeling right now is in addition to our nope uh perspective is just like being able to be fully present and honest with the people that are around us like during this whole year we only had like one set of friends really that we kind of let in on like what this journey was that we were going through but now there is nothing stopping us from saying like you know oh this is where we are and we're actually separated from that business and yeah we're feeling good about where we are and can kind of be open and honest and i feel a little bit more open and honest in general and i really appreciate that Lee, that that comment that you just made, and this wasn't pre-planned, but that's the reason why this podcast exists. Because for us, it was recognizing that this journey, this space is a lonely one for owners. And there are partners out there that can can create that connection. So thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that's a huge reality. I'll uh, send you the address where you can send the checks to. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a, a lesson learned. I, I, I just thought of Please. Um, the, uh, the, the personal guarantee on the lease really bugs bugged me. Uh, the more I thought about it and realized it for what it was and as if I were a landlord, I could totally understand why you would want that on there. But, but once a business has proven itself, it shouldn't be um, necessary anymore. I kind of feel like so like a lesson learned would be like to push harder or try to to kind of knowing that I would never I would try to have it written in the language somehow that we're like, if it survives five years, that that's like no longer mm. a part of it, like the clause. And the other thing I lesson that I think um, I learned is like really trying to cultivate a relationship with the landlord and kind of clue them in kind of like what's going on business wise. And because um, there's this like fear of this, you know, like renegotiating the lease or kind of the next time you're going to sign it, be like, hey, you know, business, we can do it at this level. And we feel very comfortable, like we'll be successful with this. But at, at you know, at the current level, it's just there's too much competition. And like, it was always this, like you know, like you couldn't, we didn't feel comfortable having that conversation. So I don't know, like the lesson learned there is just like trying to to kind of just be more or do something different because what that for me that was just like um, a sort of. Um, Stress. Yeah, re relationships with landlords can be very, very uh, worrisome to navigate, especially in a business like yours, where it was very much, uh, you know, location dependent. I mean, this is the place people knew that you were located. And a huge um, investment for build out too, right? Like, yeah. I'm just going to pick up and go three doors down. Right. Well, exactly. It's not like you're a, an insurance office or something like that, where it's just a matter of moving some furniture if you wanted to relocate. The, you have a, a very sticky relationship. And um, 
you know, things like the personal guarantee, I think that's a function of experience, you know, like if you were going to enter into something like this again, you would have a whole different point of view, yeah. right? Um, I know that, um, you know, I've been involved in deals where people have signed personal guarantees on seller financing notes, for example, and have negotiated time limits to those guarantees. You know, I'll guarantee it for this amount of time. And if just the understanding that certain things are actually open to be negotiated is yeah. something that a lot of new business people don't realize. But um, you know, for prime locations, I, I was listening to an interview with a restaurateur who signed some leases on some prime restaurant locations in Manhattan during the pandemic because some other restaurants had closed. And he saw that as an opportunity to get control of some very lucrative prime spots. You know, those landlords know that they've got, you know, the best spot in this neighborhood or whatnot, they, like, they, they understand the value oftentimes of what they have and, and aren't afraid to negotiate from a strong position if they are, you know, sort of the big corporate landlord or whoever. I think it's different if you're dealing with an individual, for example, who might have a building as an investment. Yeah. yeah. And, and ironically, the personal guarantee from the landlord's perspective did exactly what they wanted it to do in this situation, right? It kept you from a year or two earlier saying, that's it. We, we don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And, you know, to, we certainly made mistakes. The, advi the, the, the advisors that we had at the time, I think we weren't in retrospect really that thrilled with that could have been offering us the, those kinds of advice. And frankly, like enthusiasm may have gotten the better of us, right? Like mm -hmm. that looking for the right location uh, issue was huge. And, this was like a big thing that we were trying to launch and uh, the excitement and just wanting to get past that step and do it, you know, may have caused us if we'd had that advice that like, oh, these things are negotiable also, like we may have conceded on them anyway, just because we were so like wanting to do it, you know. So and again, that's, I think, just like naivete and inexperience um, that, yes, definitely we would do some of those things differently that you do have to make sure that those terms work for you. Of course. Well, awesome. This is I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, because I, I, I knew that it would be a fantastic story because of everything that I learned uh, about you and the business with, while working with you. And, uh, and yet I just want to say thank you again for being willing to come on and share it with all the other people to help give uh, some insight into not only what it was like for you to organize and operate the business, but what that exit looked like and what factors prompted you to to make that choice even after you had organized the business so well to really require relatively small amount of uh, of your time what a great story thank you so much it's our pleasure and and we i've already told you dave but a part of the reason we were open to doing this was that you know we really appreciated the um the wisdom that you brought um and uh We've had a lot of interactions with a lot of advisors, and I think we just frankly were really impressed, and we wanted to thank you um, and share back uh, a little bit of how much you've uh, and helped us. Um, so thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, it, I, I'm 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 very I'm happy that everything worked out, and and I'm glad I was able to help you that way. Great. Good luck with uh, the podcast. I'm looking forward to listening to all the episodes. Yeah.
From a note awesome. perspective. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Lee and Miguel. Sure. Right. Take care, folks. All right. That what an incredible story, Mike. Oh, what a great story! And and like I said, it, authentically experienced and shared. Right. I, the there are ups and downs. Um, once you get past the patina on any of these exit stories, there's always that anxiety, that that stress, all of that stuff, even when you get a good outcome like these folks did. And I, I just, I really appreciate them sharing that uh, with our listeners. Now, if someone out there is a business owner and they are thinking, wow, I, my business isn't nearly as organized as Lee and Miguel's, I don't seem to be on top of everything like they seem to be. Um, maybe there's some work that I need to do on my business before I might be able to exit one day. Where would that person be able to go perhaps to share their story or maybe even get some help from us or some of our friends? Uh, head on over to your exit squad guests.com. It's up on the screen there. There's a quick application to fill out to tell us a little bit about your business and, uh, uh, you'll see with some of the other episodes that we have, as David talked about earlier, come tell your story. Let us help you understand or, or try to, to figure out where the need is. And then we'll look to match you up with one of our Exit Squad partners to help you grow and um, change the business the way you need to. And if you're one of those potential Exit Squad partners, David, where would you go? You'd head over to yourexitsquadpartners.com, partners with an S, of course, which has a brief uh, form that you can fill in to talk to us a little bit about your background and expertise, how you help small businesses, and then you may become paired up with one of our guests who needs some help. Great stuff. Great story. Uh, and just and just a reminder for everyone, if you head over to yourexitsquad.com, it'll lead you to the YouTube page for the show. You can hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell. As we unroll season one, you're going to meet more and more of our guests, our partners, and you're going to hear the stories of transformations that we've been recording now for the past four or five months. Yeah, some um, exciting things already. Some really interesting impact. It's, and it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So please join us for the ride. I know you'll enjoy it. And, uh, and maybe you can be part of season number two. David, good stuff. We'll see you next time. All right. Have a great day, everyone. Bye.